today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The Lord says here, hey, even if Moses and Samuel both were standing here before me, interceding for this people, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change my mind. He says, cast them out of my sight, which reminds us that our sin separates us from God, right? Uh, Even if you're a believer and you have just habitual sin in your life, it, it creates a separation, it creates a division. In the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see the start of sin. In Genesis, Adam and Eve sin against God by eating the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. For this sin, God didn't allow them to stay in the Garden of Eden anymore. They were separated from the presence of God. The same thing is true of sin today. If there is fully unrepentant sin in the life of a person, that will separate them from God. But this doesn't mean any and all sin. We all mess up sometimes. Repentance is always possible. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 15 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jeremiah 15. We're also going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles 33. Um, Well, just kind of as a review, remember uh, that Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah faced the judgment of God. Uh, They had this impending judgment because of the rebellion against God and because of their refusal to repent. Uh, and God sent prophets over and over to the kingdom of Judah to warn them of this judgment that was coming if they didn't repent. And, and, and kind of the mistake that uh, the people of Judah made is they thought that as long as they maintained some kind of religious activity at the temple, some kind of religious ritual, uh, that God wouldn't judge them. Uh, that God would just accept the other things that they were doing away from the temple. Uh, And so they had this form of religion, right? They had these religious practices that they kept. They still made offerings. They still kept the feasts. uh, But they're also worshiping other gods. Uh, They're doing very wicked things. And and they think that as long as they're going to the temple, uh, it doesn't matter really what else they're doing, that God will just overlook that. And they treat it... Uh, the temple as kind of a lucky rabbit's foot uh, or a get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, in the same way that uh, people today uh, treat church that way. They're, you know, if I go to church on Sunday, it doesn't really matter what I do on Saturday night. As long as I show up on Sunday morning, uh, where I'm cool with God, God's cool with me kind of thing. And that was their mistake that they made. And, and God has been very clear about that, that they, he does not accept that and does not accept them. Uh, for the things that they're doing, and he's calling them to repent. Uh, And Jeremiah the prophet has interceded for his nation, the kingdom of Judah. He's interceded with God on behalf 
of the people. But we saw in chapter 14 that the Lord told Jeremiah to not pray for his people any longer. And that was the third time in the book of Jeremiah that the Lord said, don't pray for them anymore. Don't pray for them anymore. The Lord knew they would not repent of their rebellion. They they weren't going to turn back to him. They weren't going to change their ways. Uh, And yet we saw in chapter 14 that Jeremiah continued to plead with the Lord on behalf of the nation. He continued to intercede for them. Jeremiah loved his nation. He loved his people. He didn't want to see them judged uh, by God. But if you look at chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord says to Jeremiah, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and just let them go forth. Uh, Now Moses and Samuel were two great intercessors for Israel. Moses Uh, on several occasions, had to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. And God listened to Moses. Uh, The same with Samuel. Samuel interceded for the people, uh, interceded to the Lord, and the Lord heard Samuel, we're told. Uh, But the Lord says here, hey, even if Moses and Samuel both were standing here before me, interceding for this people, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change my mind. He says, cast them out of my sight, which reminds us that our sin separates us from God, right? Uh, Even if you're a believer and you have just habitual sin in your life, it it creates a separation. It creates a division uh, in your relationship, a distance in your relationship between you and God. Now, one of the things that we see here with with this this section of Jeremiah is that, uh, you know, God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is slow to anger, as the Bible says. All of that's true, but we see here that it has a limit. That there's a limit to it. That his spirit will, will not always contend with man. And that's why the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know, if you hear his voice today, when the Holy Spirit convicts you about your sin, don't ignore that conviction. Don't ignore that conviction. Don't put off repentance. Every time you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it makes it harder for you to repent in the future, makes it easier to sin and it makes it harder to repent. We should obey the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We should walk in the light and we should confess our sins. As soon as, as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts us, we should confess our sins. And the promise that God makes to us is if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us and he'll cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Now, beginning in verse 2, we see the severity of the judgment that will come upon Judah. Judah mourns, I'm sorry, uh, and it shall be if they say to you, well, where should we go? Then you shall tell them, thus says the Lord, such as are for death to death and such as 
for the sword to the sword, and such as are for the famine to the famine, and such as are for the captivity to the captivity. And these are the only four options for Judah. This is it. There's not a fifth option here. There's just four. Death, the sword, famine, or captivity in Babylon. That's what the future holds for them. And and remember, uh, when it talks about the captivity, you know, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to invade Judah. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to level the temple in 586 BC. They're going to level the city. They're going to destroy all the cities of Judah. They're going to kill many of the people. Those that remain, most of them are going to be carried away as slaves to Babylon. That's the captivity that's mentioned here. Uh, I have a, a map for you, just as kind of a reminder to give us some context if you want to pull up the map. Uh, you know, this, this is the route they're going to take. You see Jerusalem down there, and they're going to travel north and then over to Babylon. Uh, the reason they can't go straight across Arabia is because that's a desert. And so the Babylonians are going to follow that route and come down from the north and invade the southern kingdom, invade Jerusalem, destroy it all, take the people captive, captive, and then carry them back to Babylon, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And so this is what, this is what's in store for them. Death, sword, famine, or captivity. Verse three says, and I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because here's why here's why he's going to do it because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah for what he did in Jerusalem. And so he brings up Manasseh. And he says, this judgment is going to come because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. So what did he do in Jerusalem? Well, Manasseh, he became king over Judah when he was 12 years old. He reigned as king for 55 years. Uh, He reigned longer than any king over Judah. And he was the most wicked king in Judah's history. Uh, Here's just some of the things that he did. Uh, His father, Hezekiah, had removed idolatry from the land. He had brought in, you know, religious reform into the land. Well, Manasseh reversed all that. He brought idolatry back into the land and specifically back into Jerusalem. Uh, He he, uh, systematically tried to wipe out Uh, the worship of Jehovah. He killed the prophets of Jehovah. Uh, He killed the prophet Isaiah by sawing him in half, sawing him asunder. If you have the old King James Bible, Sodom and two. In second Kings 21, it says that Manasseh filled Jerusalem from one end to another with innocent blood. It says that he offered his own children as sacrifices to Molech. He practiced sorcery and divination. He consulted mediums and psychics. He even set up 
idols in the temple, the temple to Jehovah that Solomon built. He made the temple a place of pagan worship. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. It says in 2 Kings 21 that he led the people to do more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. And if you remember that, the the story there, God used the children of Israel to judge the pagan nations that inhabited the land of Canaan uh, because of their wickedness and their, their idolatry. And then the Lord says that under Manasseh, the people were more wicked than the pagan nations that God destroyed when he brought them into the promised land. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 33, if you want to turn over there, Second Chronicles 33, I just want to show you uh, kind of the rest of the story with Manasseh. He was the, the worst king in Judah's history, the most wicked king. But in Second Chronicles 33, uh, verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. You know, they ignored God's warnings. And then it says in verse 11, Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria. Remember, the Assyria is the superpower before the Babylonians. And the Babylonians conquer the Assyrians and the Babylonians become the superpower. The Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and took the northern kingdom captive into Assyria. So again, verse 11, therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh, it says, with hooks. Uh, and the idea there is with hooks through the nose. And they, they ran like a big fish hook through his nose, attached to a chain, and they marched him back, it says, to Babylon, to the land of Babylon, which was part of the Assyrian empire. At this point. Now look at verse 12. Now when he was in affliction. Look what it says. He implored the Lord. Jehovah. His God. And he humbled himself greatly. Before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him. And God received his entreaty. Heard his supplication. And brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord Jehovah was God. And after this, Manasseh built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon, the Gihon Spring, 
in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And it enclosed Ophel and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. Look what it says in verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. He's the one who put those foreign gods in the land and in the house of the Lord. Now he takes them away. And all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings, which represented having peace with God, and thank offerings, thankfulness to God, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord Jehovah, God of Israel. Verse 17, nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. It we're told here, if you look back in verse 12, when he was in affliction or when he was in deep distress in a prison in the Assyrian Empire, in the land of Babylon, we're told Manasseh finally broke. He humbled himself. He called upon the Lord and he repented of his sins and God forgave him. God forgave him. The most wicked ungodly king in the history of Judah repented in a jail cell and God forgave him and restored him back into the kingdom. This is, I mean, this is such a picture of God's amazing redemption here that God would forgive a guy like this and God would restore this guy. You know, the Bible says whosoever can come to God, through Jesus Christ. Whosoever. It doesn't matter who that person is. It doesn't matter how wicked that person is. It doesn't matter how wicked or evil that person's sins are. God will forgive them. It doesn't matter if, if they repent in a jail cell. God will forgive them. And sometimes you hear people, that's their objection. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a jailhouse uh, conversion. Right? Of course, of course he gets religion when he's in jail. You know, it's kind of like a deathbed conversion. Well, of course he's about to die. Of course he's going he's gonna to pray to receive Christ now. He's about to die. It doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to God. We see here with this guy, he's in a jail cell. He's the most wicked king in Judah's history. Just completely evil and vile. And he has completely corrupted the nation. And when he humbles himself and repents and calls upon God, God hears him and God forgives him. What what does it say? A broken and contrite heart. He will in no way refuse. And it doesn't matter whose heart it is, right? Doesn't matter who the person is. If they've got a broken and contrite heart over their sin, God will receive them. You know, Jesus died on the cross to save sinners from sin, He came to, to save the ungodly. And, and there's no limit on his ability to save. There's no limit on the power of his sacrifice to forgive sins. It's not like he can only forgive certain sins. But then there's this one category of really, really bad sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ can't forgive those sins. There's no limit to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see that with the story of Manasseh. 
That God forgives Manasseh. He forgives the Manassehs of the world. Doesn't matter. Now what we see here though with Manasseh. Manasseh individually he repented. And he was forgiven of his sins. But his actions as king were carried on by the people. You know, there was, he, you know he, was, he was sowing, and now there's reaping involved. And with the people, they carried on with the sin that, that was started by Manasseh. Manasseh repented, but the nation didn't repent. The people continued in the sin. And it's for this reason, we're told in Jeremiah 15, it's for this reason that the Lord will hand them over to Babylon, to the Babylonians. Because of of what the people continued to do that began with Manasseh. Look at verse 5 now, back in Jeremiah 15. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you're doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. Again, the Lord who is long suffering and patient and slow to anger. He says here, I have become weary of relenting. Or to put it another way, I am tired of always giving you another chance. Tired of it. God's reached his limit with him. He's reached his limit. You know, they, they abused God's grace. They took his grace for granted. They used it as a license to sin. And he says, hey, you, you've forsaken me. You've gone backwards. And I'm, and I'm tired of giving you another chance. Just tired of it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Again, there's, there's, there's a limit to it. He's not going to let us get away with just abusing his grace and his forgiveness. If we come to him with a humble and contrite heart, yes, he forgives us. Absolutely. Every time. But he's not going to let us just kind of play him. And they're playing him. And he says, "Ah, I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. Verse 7 says, and I will winnow them with a winnowing fan and the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since, here's why, they do not return from their ways. Now he talks here about the the winnowing fan. A winnowing was the process of separating the wheat from the chaff. It's it's a picture in the Bible of God's judgment. Uh, in the New Testament, John the Baptist said of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, his, his winnowing fan is in his hand. Meaning he's, he's ready to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's ready to judge. And God's judgment is always a separating. He asked me how I know and I say Brings truer than the finest crystal The book of Jeremiah entails many prophecies given to the people of Israel. But they weren't just commands of judgment and consequence. Within these pages, Jeremiah gives insight into the coming promises that Jesus would offer by coming and fulfilling a new covenant of redemption for all people. 
What's interesting is that Jeremiah poured his heart and soul out as he wrote this book. It wasn't just a dry dissertation of what people should do or what should come about. Jeremiah was a living and breathing person during the time of siege and exile, and he felt deeply for the people and nation he was a part of. His empathy for his kinsmen should resonate with you as you're part of a larger group of people in a nation and ultimately part of God's family. Is there a stirring within you to see those who are lost come to have a saving knowledge of Christ? If so, you might be able to relate to Jeremiah more than you thought. If you're enjoying this series through the book of Jeremiah and would like to hear more teachings, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. In addition to listening to these teachings, you can access more information about the church behind this ministry. Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. As a church, our heart is geared towards spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with. And we welcome anyone to worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. For service times and location, check out calvaryec.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue looking at the book of Jeremiah here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crash.